you out. We don't have it within us to to bear all of uh, the pain and brokenness that our world knows and sees on the regular. And to hold that at the same time in view of, of your love, of your incarnation into that pain and brokenness. Uh, and we certainly don't have it within us to fully comprehend and to rest in your sovereignty and your ability to bring beauty out of pain and out of ashes. You bring life. Um, and so, Father, we ask that just in light of reflecting on the Grinnell family that we know and love and the way that you orchestrated that, the way that, that Stacy just said, you, you were in that, and yet it could have been different had her mom chose to get an abortion or to go a different route. And so we just give you thanks for being that kind of God who writes stories of goodness out of brokenness, who writes stories of hope and life and transformation out of stories of pain and sin. And we ask that you would help us to, uh, to comprehend just a little bit more your love today and that we would be transformed into a people were used by you to show the world what kind of God you are, to show the world that their stories can be written from brokenness into life as well, because you are still that God. You are still that way maker, that, that God who is working when we don't see it and when we don't know. We don't know the stories that are going on in this room right now, Lord, but you do, and so help us to just to embrace and experience that just to, to a greater degree today. Thank you again, for the story of redemption. And um, we ask as we open your word, Lord, that you would speak through me uh, for the good of us as your people, for the glory of your name. Amen. Thanks, Stacey. Y'all can turn to 1 John chapter 3. That's 1 John. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the Johns in the back. So if you go all the way to the back and then flip forward a bit, you'll, you'll run into... First, second, and third John. We're going to be in the first of John's epistles, chapter three. There, the lesser-known John three sixteen, the first John three sixteen. So, turn there with me. I think. Um, I think it's obvious as we approach this. Uh, this topic that, that, that there's uh, political um, implications and a political charge that comes with it. I think we all know the danger of, of an issue becoming politicized. Uh, one of the dangers is that it, it becomes divisive really quickly, right? It's just kind of the nature of the beast and the culture that we, that we live in. Um, and, and the reality is there, there is a, like, that's probably on display even more so in this most recent season uh, than most of us have ever experienced, the divisiveness of politicized issues. If we have issue after issue going on in the world, many of them don't originate as political issues, but they become politicized, and then they get really divisive. And there are some of those things that are um, important things and good things, but the Bible doesn't speak directly to them, and therefore we as Christians have liberty to 
disagree and fall on different sides of those things and have different opinions. Now, how we treat each other in that disagreement is, is talked about, but that's kind of for a different sermon. Um, but then there are other things, other issues that are not first nor primarily political issues that God does speak very clearly to, that his word is unapologetically direct about. And when it comes to those issues, we do not have the liberty to disagree or to be apathetic about them. Rather, when God's word is clear about an issue, whether it has become politicized or not, when God's word is clear about an issue, we as his people need to be clear about that issue, and we as his people need to be appropriately engaged in that issue. And by appropriate, I don't mean just be being nice necessarily. I mean with the appropriate amount of intensity, and with the appropriate amount of intentionality, and the appropriate amount of sacrifice. And church, the sanctity of life is one of those issues. The, this reality of abortion I'm afraid we've become sort of inoculated to that term and that reality and that issue, and I don't know that we feel it the way, in fact, I know we don't feel it the way we should, but that this is, this is the, certainly the greatest evil of our generation, perhaps of all, that this will one day, if the Lord tarries long enough, this will be looked upon as a horrific moment in history, much like the Holocaust was and is. This is a horrific evil that is happening. Uh, the, the stats that are updated annually, I got this from liveaction.org, just in America, since 1973, 60,236,165 Americans just since 1973, have been aborted. 60,236,165. Let me just sit with that for just a moment. 60,236,165. Now, the reality is, even though I ask us to sit with that, I don't think we're able. Like, we're not able to fully feel that the way that, that we should. Like, we should have a visceral reaction to that. Like, the type of reaction you get if you've ever received a phone call with news on the other end from a loved one that something has happened to somebody that they love or perhaps that you love, that, that, that turning of your stomach, that, that taking of your breath that, that happens in in that moment, should be what we feel when I say 60,236,165 children have been aborted. We should, we should feel that to a 60 million degree. And yet, we struggle to. And here's part of the reason why. Because another danger of an issue becoming politicized is that we begin to think that that is where that battle is fought, primarily, is on the political front. And when that happens, we think about it in terms of policy, in terms of legislation, in terms of our vote. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, okay? It's not less than that. But when that happens, what, it can be disconnected from real life, right? It becomes an issue of talking points and of stats and not 
of real life. And when that happens, we start to have some real inconsistencies and, and, and things that we say and do that, that where our, our voice or our platforms or our talking points become really unaligned and disconnected from our lives and even our values. And we see it on both sides. So on, on the pro-choice side, we see language that is very intentional about um, what is happening in a, in a pregnancy is, is that it, that is a, a lump of cells, right? That that is a fetus. They, it will, they will not use the word child. They will not use the word baby, right? They, they, they are intentional about the language there, that that's not a, a child. That's the whole issue. When does life begin? And so they're very intentional about that language. It's a clump of cells. It's, it's just some tissue. It's, it's, it's discardable. Okay, and that is an agenda that is pushed by many in a mainstream, and, and just you, I mean, we just can all acknowledge that is an agenda that is pushed aggressively and, and, and is going to get um, even more acceleration, it seems, in the coming months and, and, and years. And so that, that is the language there. However, if we're honest, we see from some of the same people pushing that agenda that when it comes to issues like celebrity couples having miscarriages that there's an acknowledgement of a loss of a child. And, I, and I'm not here to use that, those stories as you know, leverage or to make light of them. We should absolutely mourn with those couples. But, but what we've seen, we, we've seen uh, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend and Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, is that right? Have both experienced in the last year or so miscarriages and publicly talked about that loss. And many of the same people, namely Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris and many other celebrities, The Rock, and people that, that, that push a, a pro-choice agenda, entered in to affirm that loss, as they should have. Let me be clear. I do not mean to make light and say that, that they're lost. Like, that is what we should do, is because that was indeed the loss of a child, and that is right. I'm simply trying to point out the inconsistency in the narrative of, here's what we've gotten to, folks. Here's, here's when a child has value. If we're honest, here's what our society says brings value to a child, is whether or not they are wanted. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that's where we are? That when a child is, quote-unquote, wanted or desired, then that child is a life, then that child is a child, and we will mourn the loss of that child. Our, our laws have fetal homicide laws there, like where you can be prosecuted if you uh, violently harm a pregnant woman and you cause the child inside of her harm or to die. You can be prosecuted as though you have committed a homicide in a federal law, and I believe in 38 states. I'm not a lawyer, but that was my you know, Wikipedia research there. But it, nonetheless, there's inconsistencies in what we try to say about these issues. Okay, so, so what that tells me is that we are not arguing in logic. We are not arguing in science. That is not what is happening. What is happening is a suppression of the truth for the sake of an idolatry, uh, of comfort, of 
an agenda of women's rights. I don't know, fill in the blank. There's a whole lot motivating that. But what we are doing is suppressing the truth, as Romans 1 says that, that we, we continually have an inclination to do. When it doesn't suit our agenda, we will suppress the truth so that we can feel okay about our sins. And that is what is happening. This is not an argument of logic or of science because those inconsistencies are glaring even in that world. However, the inconsistencies are just as glaring on our side. And by our side, I mean, if it's not obvious, pro-life. Like, that, that's where I believe Christians should be. That's where I, certainly I am. And so the inconsistencies are just as glaring over there because what we have is millions of people, millions of people, who in the name of being a Christian and a conservative will rant and post and, and fuss about pro- being pro-life. but then they don't lift a finger to do anything about it. You see, if we're just pro-life once every four years, then I don't really think we're pro-life. And if we're just pro-life when it comes to a political alignment or a vote, then I don't, I don't believe that we're actually pro-life. And, and, and that, believe me, they, being the other side, have noticed. And when they argue that back against us, we don't have a lot to bring back to them and refute. Because the reality is there are children that are being born. There are moms who would be open to having their child. And regardless of what you've been told or what you think, there's not enough homes to take those children. There's not enough people saying, yes, I'll adopt, yes, I'll find. Like, it's not happening. There's orphanages all around the, all around the world that are full of children that need to be adopted. There's, there's a foster care system in, in our own state that is overwhelmed, in our own county that is overwhelmed. There are not enough people. So for us to say, millions of people say, yeah, we're pro-life, and that's why we vote this way, and that's why we're going to... And, and I, I think we're, 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 we're whoring out God's sanctity of life for our political... Like, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're, you don't care about it, but if that's the only way you care about it, the church, we have to face the fact that that is absolutely hypocritical and absolutely unacceptable. And I'm just going to tell you from the outset, this is really hard for me not to, not to rant at you, to be, to be honest. Because this is really personal to me. And sometimes we kind of get viewed as that, you know, that family, and I know they're into that. And, that, and some of, like, I know that even some of you may have had a, oh boy, this is Jordan's thing. You might have had a, an inward eye roll this morning as we, as we open this. Because I know this is my thing. I know I'm passionate about it. But the reason I'm passionate about it is because, again, the Bible is clear about it. And these are actual lives. I get actual phone calls saying, can you take this kid? I have actual moments whenever my kids go, well, who is it, Daddy? What do we need? And, and, and I tell them, and they say, well, we can move rooms. We can make room for her. We can do this. And, and I have to say, yeah, but I can't, I can't bring an 18-year-old. I can't bring a 17-year-old into my home. I, I have to say no, and my kids are, are, are wondering why. And, and, and we don't have anywhere else to tell. Like, 
This, is get, this gets personal for me. And, and, and here's the thing. It's not just our thing. It's not just, oh, that's Jordan's passion. Like, this, this, is not a, this is not even a calling. This is not a calling that certain people are called to engage with, and that's their thing, and, and good luck, and maybe we'll toss you some money. No, no, this is God's people. This is our issue. It's not a calling. It's a command. It is not for some. It's for all. And if we don't understand that, then I think we're a lot like Paul said, we'd be banging gongs. Now, I'm going to get to that. I understand not everybody can foster, not everybody can adopt, and I promise you, I, I understand that. I think you should all consider it. You should at least pray about it and bring yourself there and not rule it out too quickly. However, it's a lot like missions. We're either called to send or we're either called to go on mission to people who haven't heard, or we're called to be a part of sending those. This is the same thing. We're either called to be a part of caring for the vulnerable and, and those children that are born, or we're called to support those who are. So I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but, but here is, <clears throat> that, that's, why I, that's why I'm passionate about it, because it's not just, a, it's not just an us thing. It, it, it is being the birds or the, you know, the, the, those that have adopted, it, it's, it's not. It's a, it's a people of God thing. That this is indeed the darkest stain on our generation and, and its history. It is indeed the, the scourge. That, that we're, it is the darkest moment in our lifetimes, period. Like it, it, but here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's why this has to matter and why we have to move beyond just votes and just acknowledgments from a political party because our God, like in, in the darkest of moments, we also have perhaps the greatest opportunity to shine the gospel light. That in the darkest of places, the light of God may indeed shine the brightest. That in the darkest of sins and brokenness in our generation and in our country and in our world, is also the place that perhaps we could be the people of God and bring hope and, and transformation and the gospel in the, in the most notable way. Think about the stories that you know of, of, of people being faithful and caring for Jews in the Holocaust. Think about those testimonies that have rung throughout history of people who were heroic and stepping into that moment and saying, hey, I will intercede. I will do something. Those lives do matter. And so, hey, you come into my home. I'll sacrifice my own safety for the sake of, think about those. Listen, that's where we're at, church. That's where we're at. Will we be a voice for the voiceless? Will we be a place for the helpless and the homeless? Will we be those people? And that is what's before us because God indeed takes brokenness and darkness and turns them into stories like we just heard from Stacy. That's what he does in the midst of brokenness. God's not waiting on us to overturn Roe v. Wade to be at work in this issue. He's not waiting on us to engage. Like, that's how he brings stories from darkness into, into beautiful and redemptive lives that are, that are impacting generations. Right? That Stacy's, and he does it through using us. You understand that, right? God's not just waiting on a legislator or an election to get this issue rolling. He does it through us, through you and me. He did it through Stacy's family. Praise God for you saying yes. Think of, the, think of the impact that that has had now. Not even to mention Stacy's parents' friends and, and Stacy's friends and people that heard those stories and now Sage and Cruz and their friends. Like, 
And, and now their kids, they, Sage and Cruz are going to have a family. Like, like, think of the impact that that has had. That is how our God begins to bring beauty out of brokenness. We think of Joseph's story at the end of Genesis 50. He says, hey, what, what you all meant for harm, God, or for evil, God has used for our good. Listen, church, that is, our, that is the people that we are. That, we, are we are gospel people that enter into the brokenness to be used by God to bring hope and transformation. So, here's, I don't think that my time is best spent convincing you that abortion is wrong. Knowing the demographic of our church and of our area, I think the majority of us are there. So I, for me to get up here and just talk about how abortion is wrong, I don't think that's the best use of my time. I cited an article on your app on the digital bulletin that does some of that, that you certainly should reference that. What, what I feel called to is, to is to lead us to become a pro-life people, a holistically pro-life people. And what does that look like? Because that is when God will begin to use his church to transform the world. And then we're still in our series, Love God, Connect People, Transform the World. Just because I was off a week, we're having to flip the, the connect people and transform the world. So this is Transform the World Part 1. Our world, this is one of the more glaring issues, if not the most glaring issue in our world. And this is where we as Christians should step into it. But here's the thing. We don't just do it because it's the right thing to do. We don't just do it because, you know, Jordan made me feel guilty talking about how we don't. No, no, we do it because this, we are a gospel-formed people. We are a people who were not just loved by a God who, who affirmed us with his voice or maybe with a vote. No, no that's not, can you imagine if that's what God did? If that's how God loved us? If he just sat back from his throne and said, yeah, I love him. I'll vote for him to live. What if God, what if that's how he loved? What if he was just indifferent and it was purely a policy and a, and a stance thing? Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. Verse 16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Listen, we don't just do this, just, we, we, you know, justice is trendy right now, right? You realize that? You buy like cereal or shoes and they tell you about how they fed a few other people. You know, sunglasses, right? They're going to send six or seven meals. To, it's just, and I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying to do justice is trendy. And, and there are some movements within the church that say, hey, this is the most, um, you know, significant display of the gospel is to do justice. And I would say, no, 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 the, the, the display of the gospel is the gospel, However, to, do, to just preach the gospel with no implication for the justice and the suffering that's going on in front of us, God is not okay with that. That's what John just said here. How can we be a people who were loved so radically by our God, and yet when we see people in need and we have the means to, to meet those needs and we close our hearts, how can God's love abide in us? Because that's not how God loved us, was it? 
He didn't just send us a little bit or he didn't just say, hey, I hope you do well. Like it says he laid down his life for us. Church, we are too, we're inoculated to that too. We just know that story. We think, okay, yeah, we know Jesus gave his life. No, no, I want you to think about that. I want you to feel that. Because when we think about caring for somebody else beyond just voting, it's going to cost us something. It's going to rearrange our lives if we're going to become a pro-life people. But we do it because Jesus rearranged his life for us, Jesus, it cost him something, church. He laid down his life for you and I. And this is, unless you think I'm just proof texting, like this is the theme throughout the scriptures. Read Isaiah 58. Read how he has no tolerance for people who come to church, sing their praises, offer their offerings, but don't do anything about the people who they stepped over, who are suffering and starving on their way there. Read Isaiah 58. Read Matthew 25. Read the Bible. The point of the, of the Good Samaritan, many points within that. But if you know that story, there's a man hurt on the side of the road. Religious people, you know, I don't want to be unclean. I don't want to be bothered. So they, they, they keep going by. And then the Samaritan, the people that the Jews hate, some racial tension, there's all kinds of things going on in the story. But the point of the story is that true love doesn't just say, oh, I'm sorry about that. Or, oh, I hope you get better. Or, oh, here's, you know, something I hope helped. True love enters in and kneels down and gives of, of, of himself, of his money, of his time, of his, like, that's what Jesus says is how we should love one another. This is a theme throughout Scripture. It's too often we, we abuse the doctrine of grace alone through faith alone. Right? By faith alone, through grace alone. Like, we abuse that and, and we go, you know what? We can't talk about working for Jesus because we don't, you know, we don't want people to think that we, we uh, you know, we earn our salvation by doing good works. And so we, we just kind of shy away from it. Here's the deal. It, we don't earn our salvation. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. It doesn't matter if you adopt 150 kids. It doesn't matter if you feed thousands and thousands of people. If that's what you go before the Lord, hoping to be justified with that, he's going to say, no, 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 those are filthy rags. Those are filthy rags. So we don't, we don't do justice in order to earn God's favor, but because we've been given God's favor, because we have been loved radically, because we are a people who have been loved by a God who stepped out of his comfortable, awesome, glory-filled life and into our mess so that he may love us with a, with a radical, lavishly, unrelenting love. Because we are that kind of people, because we've been saved and loved by that kind of God, we now embody that same love for our neighbors and for those who are suffering. We also are incarnational. If you think about the themes of adoption and incarnation in Jesus' ministry and in the good news and the doctrine of our, of our life, that, that he adopted us, that we were the orphan, that we were the one without any hope, that we were the one who was spitting in his face. We were the one who was unruly. Some of these kids that need care, they're unruly. You understand that? That's not easy. They've been harmed, and they don't know how to... They, they don't know how to live normal life. They, they don't know how to receive love. And, and so it gets unruly. But here's the, here's the deal. We do it. Why? Because we are the unruly kid. 
We, we have spat in God's face. We have kicked and screamed when he's tried to love us and discipline us and bring us near. We have ran away. We are the orphan. We are the rebellious child. We are that person who is not convenient to love. It's not easy to love us. If you don't know, ask somebody who loves you, and they'll tell you. You're not easy to love. But God has done it. He has sought you out given of himself fully that you may be called the sons and daughters of God, that you may be adopted. And it is because of that, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John's saying it, it doesn't work. This is why James 1, the famous passage of a pure and undefiled religion, is that that cares for widows and orphans? Don't you think about that? Pure and undefiled. I've seen some defiled religion in the last couple weeks. Don't fly my Jesus' flag while you're doing that mess. Not on my team, right? Makes me so mad. I'm like, no, 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 no. They don't represent us, world. I just want them to know, right? I've seen some defiled religion of late. I've seen some idolatry in Jesus' name, some things that, that should never be attributed to Jesus' name. That's why it says, hey, hey, somebody who's pure and undefiled in their love for God, what are they going to do? They're going to care for widows and orphans in their time of need. That, that's not just this, oh, yeah, that, that's the sacrificial. I'm going to give myself to them. That's why John's saying, hey, how can it be if, if there's these needs and we close our heart, how can we say the love of God abides in us? John wants to know, how could you do that? How? But then he, he says, but we, can't just, we can't just say it. We can't just, like he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So listen, church, we need to become pro-life because Jesus was pro-life with us. Jesus didn't see us as an inconvenience. Jesus came for us. He rearranged, made space for us. He gave himself for us. So it is out of that identity as a gospel, blood-purchased people that we engage with a broken world. We didn't cause the mess. I understand that. It's not our response. I understand all of that, but that's why we incarnate. We step into and dwell in those messes. Why? Because that's the way we've been loved. So I'm going to try to move quickly through six points of what I think it means to be a pro-life people. To be a pro-life people. To reconcile our stance and our life. Right? That, that that's, like I believe, when, when the Bible says, hey, if my people would, would, would uh, you know, humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, I'll heal their land, I'll heal, you know, like, you know that passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that's quoted all the time? Like, that's not just this act of bowing down. Like, he says, actually, turn from your wicked ways, right? So we need to become a pro-life people. We need to become a holistic people. We want God to heal our nation. We need it to begin in us, and we need to repent of our wickedness, which he just said is, and you see there's needs, and we don't do anything about it. There, and again, this is, we get politicized, right? You think, you're thinking about, Paul, no, no, no. It's not about Paul. It's about God has given you this in and, and your life, and you certainly, he's gifted it to you, and so we give it freely in the name of Jesus' love. So we become a pro-life people. Here's, I'm going I'm to blow through the first few pretty quickly, uh, and then we'll spend a little bit more time on the last couple. Becoming a pro-life people, reconciling our stance and our lives. 
First of all, we need to know the truth and solidify our conviction. Know the truth about abortion. Okay? You can't kind of know it's wrong. You need to know what happens. You need to do the research, and you need to let that truth about life and about life in the womb, you need to let that solidify your conviction. Okay? There's an article. There's, there's plenty of, 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 of places to turn for that. There's an article attached to your um, digital bulletin on the app that, that will help you with that. But we need to know the truth. As Christians, we need to solidify our convictions. Secondly, we need to vote with those convictions in mind. That's a real thing. Now, that, that's what you expect me to say on a day like this. That's, what's, that's sort of easy, if you will. Not some more so than others. And I'm not saying you got to vote for one party or the other. I said you need to vote with those convictions in mind. Okay, you need to vote with those convictions in mind because it does matter. Elections do have consequences. Okay? And it does matter. So you need to vote with those convictions in mind. I'm glad to talk at more length with anybody that would like to. I'm not trying to make light of that or blow past that. I'm just saying I don't know that that's where we, I, I think, that's pretty well established for a people like us in a Bible Belt culture like ours. Thirdly, we speak the truth. That means we call it what it is. Language matters. We call it what it is. Not in a hateful way, right? Not in a, not in a you know, bullhorn. No, no, no. Just when the conversation is happening with our kids, with our family, with people we know, no, no. We, we don't let it be called some procedural non-human thing. It, you know, this is murder of children, period, Okay? This is the killing of children, and we need to call it, we need to speak the truth. We need to call it what it is. Fourthly, this will take a little bit more unpacking, but we raise a generation who is responsible for their actions. We raise a generation who is responsible for their actions. Here's what I mean by that. The narrative is about choice, and we want to take that choice to what happens when you're already pregnant. If we want to actually be pro-life and, and be a pro-life people, we need to rewind that just a bit. Right? We need to rewind that and teach our kids that, hey, 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 you, your choice happens whenever you choose to have sex with someone or not. That's your choice. Now, quick caveat. I understand there are instances of rape and incest. And, and in those cases, those women did not have choices. I do not mean to be insensitive to that. In those cases, we should absolutely give care, love, counsel to that victim and 100% justice to that perpetrator. Okay? I'm not insensitive to that. God's not insensitive to that. However, to use that as an argument for abortion in general is silly. That's a very, very, very small percentage of abortions that happen are those cases. And even so, one crime does not justify, like, you, you understand that rape isn't even, like, it's not, you can't, you know, sentence somebody to death for rape. But, so the perpetrator of the crime can't be killed, but you can kill the victim of the, like that doesn't, nothing about that adds up. So, so we don't go there. We need to care for, engage very much so with that victim and love on her and give her options and give her care for sure. But that is not the majority of the cases we're talking about here. Majority of what we're talking about here is a choice of convenience, a choice of lifestyle. Like that's what is, that, that's what we're talking about whenever we're talking about choice. So we need to raise a generation that understands that that's when your choice happens, whether or not to have sex before you're ready to have a child. That's when your choice happens, okay? And we need to teach a generation to understand that, that once you, you do that, and if you make a mistake and you do that, then you accept the responsibility of that action, and that may be a child. And to go along with that, men, we teach our young men, you get a girl pregnant, 
That's your kid. You take care of that kid. You take care of that woman, right? You don't bear, like that's part of what's going on in this narrative is that they want to talk about how a woman has just as much of a right to, to not be pregnant and not be encumbered by this burden of a child as a man does. Well, listen, that implies that men are able to just walk, not here, not in God's kingdom, men. You don't just walk. We need to be just as, as furious about a man who abandons his family as we are a woman who gets an abortion. Just as furious and just as passionate. We need to teach a generation to accept their responsibilities for their actions. Five, we embody Christ's incarnational love to live out our pro-life convictions. We embody Christ's incarnational love to live out our pro-life convictions. Now, I'll try to move quickly through these. Uh, but th- there's, there's a bit, and, and they are where I think rubber meets the road. And the first is, is, is a bit obvious, and I know you, you knew I was going to talk about this, and I will get to other things. But you, what this means is we need to be willing to foster and adopt. If we're going to insist that these babies need to be born because it is their right to live, then we need to be there to say they can come to my home. Okay, That is a reality that we need to understand. There are not enough homes for the children that are already living on this earth. And so if we insist that others have the right to be born, where are they going to go when they come into broken situations? We need to deal with that. We need to face that. We don't need to dismiss that. Some of you think I can never do that. Well, don't move so quickly beyond that. Some of you think I'm too old. Don't move so quickly beyond that. Some of you think I don't have the money. Don't. Listen. We have partnered with one of my favorite organizations called the Restore Network that exists to enter into that with you so that you're not doing it alone, to equip you, to support you. Maybe you thought you never could, but let me, let me tell you, if, like, don't move so quickly past it. Sharon and I were talking a bit earlier, and I think, was it Michael W. Smith that said, not everybody's called to adopt, but everybody's called to pray about it, meaning you should at least put yourself out there and let yourself be honest enough with the Lord. Lord, is this me? Do, do you have something, should I be engaged in this way? Okay, so that that is something that Christians should ask themselves, Lord, are you calling me, are you leading me to foster and adopt? Now, not, the question is not, Lord, are you calling me to be engaged in a pro-life lifestyle? That's not the question, because the answer to that is yes. It's not a calling, it's a command, okay? So the question is how, and when you start there, when you start with how, you need to start with this, Lord, do you want me to foster and adopt? Like, is that a part of my story? And then, if not, what you are called to do is support those that do. I kind of look at them as like special ops teams. I get it. Not everybody's going to be on special ops. Not everybody's called to foster and adopt. All right? They're the SEALs, the Rangers, Green Berets. Going, like, same, same, ba- same armies fighting the same battle, but they, they got special forces, right? But listen, they don't do it alone. Those guys need support from the base, right? They need intel. They need comms. They need transportation. They need air support, right? Right? You with me? We understand Navy SEALs are bad dudes, right? They need the support of everybody else. Like, that's the same thing. Listen, you got some heroes among you that have said, yes, I'll, I'll foster. I'll adopt. They, they need your support. They need your support. How do you do that? First, and perhaps the easiest, most obvious, is financially. I'm talking specifically here. You can give to organizations like Restore that help recruit and support. You should do that. I'm talking specifically uh, when somebody's called to adopt an international child, that mess is expensive. 
and it shouldn't be, but it is. And I don't know why it is, and until we can fix it, it is what it is. Guess what? It's not the kid's fault. Here's what I'm saying. Church, I understand all of you are called to adopt. I understand that. You are called to be involved and support. So when someone is called to adopt, I'm done with fundraisers. You understand? I'm done with them. Average international adoption, I think, costs around 40 grand. How dare we expect that family who said yes to that calling to fund that on their own or to throw them a little bit here and there? I'm done with it. I've been, I've been guilty of it, but listen, as a church, no more. Somebody, some, God may be calling somebody in here right now to adopt. I'm here to tell you God's going to provide that funding for you, period. Church, he's going to use you. I'm done with it. We're going to just, we're going to man up. $40,000 is a whole lot of money to one family. You know what? Probably got about 50 families here today. Spread that out. It's less than a grand each. That's a lot of money. Not really. You're telling me that life matters. And then you're telling me that a kid that is in an orphanage somewhere And there's a family here that said yes, doesn't have the money. You're telling me that that kid isn't worth you eating out one day less a week? Like, I mean it. Like, I don't just mean when that time comes, you see what you got laying around. I mean, work on your budget today. And you say, I'm done with this. This is going here. And I'm going to set it aside, and the moment I hear about somebody adopting, I'm giving them some significant amount of money. I'm not talking about 50, like if that's what you can give, that's, that's, but it better be sacrificial. I'm talking about you should plan to give a significant amount of money to whoever says yes to adopt, period. Church, this should, not, this, this should be a no-brainer. We spread that load. Not all of you will say yes to being in their home. I understand that, but we all just partner in. We're going to pony up that money. We're going to make it a non-issue. It's easy. It's, it, it's, it's what we should do. I'm, I'm going to work on figuring out a way to do it within our budget, but yet you, you just need to, you need to plan. I'm not talking about giving part of your tithe. I'm talking about above and beyond. You already give to the Lord. You need to give more to this cause. You need to plan to support those who say yes to adopt, period. Financially. Secondly, relationally. Right? They need people who are, are, are bringing kids into the, that's, that's not an easy transition. That's not an easy task. These kids are coming from hard places. They don't get to a, an orphanage or into foster care without trauma. And therefore, it's going to be hard. It is hard. Okay? So they need your support. You can, you can come alongside. You can be, uh, Restore's working on a program to be respite, not from the agency standpoint, but just as an intentional you're going to adopt this family. There's families in our church, in our region, that are, that are fostering. You're going to say, hey, I'm going to be your adoptive aunt, uncle, grandparent, whatever, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take that kid once a week. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to show up to birthday parties. I'm going to be there to give you a break. I'm going to let you go on dates. I'm going excuse me, to support you. You can do that. You could show up to restore events as they're training 
those families to, to bring healing to those kiddos. You can watch the kids for two hours while they're in the back. You could bring meals. You could, like, many of you are already doing that. She's going to be set up in the back today. You can learn more about how to do some of that stuff, but you can support them relationally. And not just the kids and not just foster parents. You can, listen, there's single moms out there that need your support. They don't, they don't know how they could ever raise a kid, but they might know if you showed up and said, hey, I got you. I got you. So volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Show up. Let yourself be known. Be a CASA advocate. Do something to live out your pro-life stance. Support those who are bringing them in. It's not, that's not the only way to be pro-life. That's not the only way to serve those that are vulnerable. And then lastly, we put our hope of transformation into prayer and gospel preaching. We understand that even if we give all the orphans homes, even if we serve all the single moms, True transformation doesn't happen without the gospel. That we do all of that to the end of displaying the gospel and then preaching the gospel. That this is what pure and undefiled religion looks like. Of people who are, are, are not just saying it in voice, but are saying, that kid deserves to be born. Well, where are they going to go? We say right here. My church has got them. Right? What a statement, what a testimony that would be if we're able to show up at Planned Parenthood and say, no, no, I got homes. We got them. Let them be. We got them right here. Homes. The church. Not just the journey. The church. We got them. Right? We can't say that right now, but what if we could? How much more weight does that give to our, to our voice when we say these kids need to be born and we say, and we will care for them. You don't want them. God does. God didn't, nobody wanted me, but God did. And so I'm going to give my life to make sure that that kid knows he's wanted. How can the love of God abide in you if you close your heart to those in need? I do not mean to be heavy-handed here. But that's what his word says, and I, and I don't, don't think I'm out of line. Yeah, I've got my own kids in my, I've got my own, it's very personal for me, but church, you take yourself before God and his word, and I believe you'll be sent into a pro-life lifestyle. What it looks like, those details are between you and him. We'll help you. We'll find a place to serve. We'll walk with you. We'll help direct your resources. Absolutely. Let's be a pro-life people. Let's get rid of the disconnect between our stance and our lives. Let's be pro-life. When we pray for God to heal our land, let's be a people who actually repent and turn from our wicked ways. We show up. We redo our budget. We rearrange our lives so that we don't love in just word and deed. God, take my words and may your spirit bring them, Lord. You, may your spirit bring them in a, in a way that is, um, just do what you, Lord, get my agenda out of it. Father, where I've been overly passionate, perhaps, Lord, would you um, forgive me and would you bring your spirit to bring right conviction And may we be a people who are compelled by how you've loved us to then live our lives in love of others.
Thank you, Jesus, for not kind of caring about us. But forgiving your life while we were still sinners and earned a lick of your favor. That you declared our value, spilled your own blood to win us back, and adopted us. Jesus, we didn't deserve that. Thank you. Now help us to embody that love for your glory, for the sake of those that you love. Help us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.